All right, so we're continuing through the book of Colossians. And on our text today, Paul is still addressing the family. So in the verses that we looked at last week, he admonished wives to submit to their own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Then he commanded husbands to love their wives and not be bitter toward them. Today, we're going to look at verse 20 and 21, and we're going to see where Paul, we're going to look at Paul's command to love, I'm sorry, Paul's command to children and to fathers. Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. This is our text today. Children, obey your parents in, the, in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for these commands to children and to fathers. Lord, we thank you for the family. You created the family. The very first thing, the very first institution after, Lord, you finished your creation Lord, you created the family when you created the man and the woman. You created marriage and called them to come together to be joined and the two become one. Father, today as we look at these commands from the apostle, the command for children to obey their parents and the command for fathers to train and instruct to encourage and not discourage their children. Father, we ask that you would grant us grace to hear, to learn, to be equipped. Lord, that we would all contribute to the strength and the growth and the health of our families. For your glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a command to children and fathers. And what is significant throughout Scripture is that the father is ultimately charged with the responsibility of spiritual nurture and discipleship of his children. The mother is no doubt vital to this responsibility, but it is the father who carries the burden of responsibility to command his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord. We see this most clearly stated when the Lord is speaking concerning Abraham and the purpose for which he was foreordained or chosen by God. Genesis chapter 18, verses 17 through 19. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? He was getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So hear these words that the Lord speaks concerning Abraham. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him. God's preordained purpose for Abraham before the foundation of the world, was not just his personal salvation. When God chooses his elect before the foundation of the world, it is not just for their personal salvation. But God chose Abraham, and he chose all of his elect, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And in bringing 
to Abraham what God spoke to him, God brings blessing to all the nations, to all the families of the earth. And that blessing comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It actually comes, we can say, through faith and obedience. Because faith and obedience go hand in hand. In God's preordained purpose for Abraham, we see the divine purpose of God in the command given to fathers to bring children up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The purpose God had for Abraham in relation to his children, in relation to his household, is true for fathers today. To command children and households that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. It is a father's responsibility to model and teach obedience for his children, that the blessing would be upon his children now and for successive generations. And so the command is, children, obey your parents. But first, before we focus on the obedience of children, we must consider how or by who children are taught to obey. And what I want us to understand is there will be no obedient sons and daughters without obedient fathers and mothers. Obedience is not complicated, though it is not always easy. This is true for children and adults, for young and old. On the surface, the command to obey is a very simple command. It is. It's very simple. There are layers below the surface of this command that must be peeled back to fully appreciate all the command implies. Children obey your parents implies the obedience of parents. And with the command for children to obey their parents is the unspoken yet understood command for parents to model that obedience to their children. Children do not learn by what we say as much as they learn by what we do. You can tell your children all day long to do the right thing, but they're going to do what they see you doing or what they see you not doing. If our words are not backed up by our actions, they ring hollow at best, if not wholly untrue. Parents who want their children to love and obey the Lord must themselves love and obey Him. Parents who want their children to do certain things and not do other things must themselves do the things they want their children to do and not do the things they don't want their children to do. Otherwise, you're going to have some really bitter children. It's also understood that this is not as easy as it sounds. Trust me, that is not lost on that is what parenting is, that's why parenting is not nearly as complicated as it is hard. Parenting is really not that complicated. It's just really hard. Parenting children demands hard work. It's that simple. It's when parents fail to do the hard work of disciplining their children that life will get complicated. Parents who fail to do the hard work are parents in disobedience to God. Parental disobedience impacts not only the children that are being parented, it impacts all of us. Disobedience leads to many and varied complications. This is true not only for children and parents, but for entire households and for our society as a whole. And this travels through the generations. We are experiencing this right now in our nation at this very time. Just as the blessing of obedience is generational in the Scripture, the consequences of disobedience are also generational. It is the destructive complications associated with disobedience we are now experiencing as a people and a nation. 
the statistics are very consistent. 33% of all children are in fatherless homes, are born to fatherless homes. One in four children do not have a father present in their life. One in four do not have a father present in their life. And we look around and we wonder why our nation is going to hell. That's a great place to start right there. Look at the family. The thing God instituted before he instituted the church. Look at the condition of the family and you will see the condition of a nation. Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children, I already read this to you, I already talked to you, but I'm going to say it again. Children, obey your parents in all things. This is what the Bible commands. Children, notice that the Bible commands you to obey your parents in all things. And when you do this, it's well-pleasing to the Lord. An important thing parents need to teach their children is that obedience is part of what it means to have faith in God. You can't say you have faith and yet no obedience. Just like James. This is what James was saying. He says, you tell me about your faith and I'll show you my faith through my works. Without faith, we cannot please God. Hebrews 11.6. Without obedience, our faith is dead. Faith and obedience are like roots and fruit on a tree. One produces the other, so they are mutually inclusive. They never compete against one another, but they always complement one another. Children are commanded to obey in all things, and that means parents are to never command their children to do anything that is not well-pleasing to the Lord. We are all accountable to the Lord God. He is the authority over both children and parents. And what is to be understood is that faithful parents do not command things that are opposed to God and opposed to God's holy word. Understanding this, children can cheerfully obey their parents in all things, knowing this is well-pleasing in the Lord. Paul echoed this command to children in his letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. In these verses, Paul includes the fifth commandment of the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. This is the first commandment that carries a promise. As Paul is writing these letters, he can safely assume that the parents to which he is writing were once children themselves as we all were or are now. And those children, just like all children, learned obedience in the family. And children who don't have intact families don't learn obedience to the things that they should learn obedience. All children learn obedience. It's just, what are you going to obey? Children without the moral structure of a family as God intended it will just simply learn to obey their sins. That's what the, their sinful impulses, their flesh, and, and they, won't, they won't do anything else apart from the grace of God. This would be true for these that Paul is writing to, whether they were Jews or Gentiles. But all of these now that he's writing to in the church at Ephesus, in the church at Colossae, they are now all learning the truths of the gospel. They are learning now how to apply those truths of God's word and of his gospel 
in their own lives, in their own families, in their own children, in all of life. And that's what the gospel applies to. It applies to all of our life. And this is why the Bible commands children to teach, it commands parents to teach children obedience because obedience will serve them well in all of life. The family is the first institution created by God. He created the family before he created the church. There is no church without the family. I hope you understand that. There is no church without the family. God created them, male and female, the two from one, to be joined together and made one in what God calls marriage. So man didn't create marriage. You get your marriage certificate from the county, but the county didn't create marriage. The Supreme Court has redefined marriage, but the Supreme Court does not create marriage. God created marriage, and he created marriage to be between one man and one woman. He created marriage to be between a man and a woman, a male and a female, and this is how God created them in the beginning, male and female. And from two, he made one to be joined together and made one in what God calls marriage to create what God deems the family. And from that relationship, a husband and wife reproduce, have children in order that they may fill the earth. This is the mandate given to man in the beginning. The family is the building block to carry that out. Scripture calls children a reward. They are blessings that come from God, and ultimately children are for the glory of God. Thus, parents are commanded to train up their children in the fear and nurture of the Lord. Well, what about the world's attitude toward children? If you just read the news and listen to the pundits, you, you should be very confused about what the world really thinks about and how they value children. Because on one hand, they're mad because people are killing them, and on the other hand, they're fighting to kill even more of them. It's kind of puzzling, isn't it? In today's culture, children are presented as burdens more than blessings, punishment instead of reward. This attitude is opposed to the teaching of Scripture. The world's attitude toward children is sinful. Contrast that with the attitude that comes from the words of the psalm. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. The psalmist writes, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. The scripture is clear. Children are a heritage, a gift, a reward, even arrows that are to be plentiful. There is nothing about children that we are to fear. People who have rejected God and who have rejected his word, even within the church, are trying to find ways to continue the slaughter of unborn babies as if 70 million is not enough just from one nation. Besides the continuing slaughter of the unborn, the world is literally advocating not having children due to the fear-mongering they call climate change or overpopulation. The world seems to embrace children only when children fit into and benefit their political and cultural agendas. When children fit the narrative, we're all about children. When they don't fit the narrative... We're fine with slaughtering them in the womb. Children seem to be no more than pawns used to gain political and cultural advantage. But that's, that's not why God gives us children. The world has no fear of God, but they literally seem to fear children. 
Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever thought about that? Children they can't control, they're fine with just aborting, murdering. And the ones that aren't aborted, they are bound and determined to control every thought a child has. For a world system that stands opposed to God and His divine purpose, a system that is committed to the to the destruction of families and of children, it is a system that should fear children. And they do. God's divine purpose is to fill the earth and take dominion over it. And that is a fearful concept to them. They don't want to believe it's true. They confess it's not true. But their fear betrays them Because they know the truth. As Christians, we are not to fear. We are to obey. He has commanded us to work and to pray to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And children are a major part of seeing that happen. Not just any children, but children who have been trained in the fear and nurture of the Lord. To obey their parents and so to obey the Lord. And walk in his ways. Contrast the world's attitude toward children with the attitude God has toward children. God commanded man in the beginning to be fruitful and to multiply. God never withdrew that command. You realize that. What he told Adam and Eve in the beginning. Go forth, be fruitful and multiply and take dominion and fill the earth. He never withdrew that command. In fact, he re-emphasized it with what we call the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Because now we not only can see natural children reproduced, we can now see spiritual children born again for the glory of God. God created the heavens and the earth, and he full well knows how many children he will reward both with. Christian, do not fear, but boldly obey. Be fruitful and multiply. Take dominion and fill this earth with the glorious image of the Creator. You might say, well, Pastor Jeff, I'm I'm beyond that. Well, you're not beyond encouraging others to do the same. You're not beyond that. Don't just be content with what you have. Encourage believers to have children and to keep having children and and to believe the command of God that they are a heritage, they are a reward, and God knows how to provide for His children, all of them. Parents, you are to command your children in the ways of the Lord. This is not a new command, but part of what is called the greatest The Shema is a prayer that is the centerpiece of the daily prayer service in Judaism, both morning and evening. It is considered by some as the most essential prayer a Jew can pray. Jesus quoted from the Shema. In doing so, he taught us what the greatest commandment is. The word Shema simply means hear. And it's the beginning of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, Shema. Israel. That's what Shema means. It means to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Here in the Shema, we find the great commandment. It is the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It goes on to tell how these words are to be in our heart and that you are to teach them diligently to your children in whatever you are doing, 
when you are sitting or when you are walking or when you are lying down and when you are rising up. This is not just a prayer to be prayed, but a command to be obeyed at all times. This is what Proverbs 22.6 is echoing when it commands parents to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. This command promises that, thr- that, that through the parent's diligence, when the child is old, he will not depart from the Lord. Some people read this expecting their children to go astray, but God promises when they get old, they'll come back. That's not what that command is saying. That command is saying, parents, if you do your job, if you obey the Lord and train up your children the way you are commanded to, your children will never depart from the way. Never. They won't. That should be the expectation of a parent. The parent should never expect their children to stray. The parent, obeying the Scripture and training up their child, should always expect their child to walk in the ways of the Lord. Now, I know the world doesn't always work that way. But what the Bible is teaching us, the principle here is the rule is parents, obey the Lord, train up your children, and they will follow the ways of the Lord. And if they don't, they're not the rule. They are the exception. And you still claim the promise, and you still hold God to his word, believing for that child to come back if they do depart. But the point of the commandment is for children to walk out their life in obedience to the Lord. This pictures a life, a faithful life. That faithful life from young age into old age is born out of the obedience taught and modeled by faithful parents. To children, God commands in Proverbs 6, 20 through 23. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. And when you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. This command to children is not only for when they are young, but for all of their life. The command to obey parents is ultimately a command to obey God. That's why it applies to all of us. This command for children to obey father and mother is a command to guide them their whole life, from childhood into adulthood. It is a command they will in turn teach to their children from generation to generation until the Lord returns. Consistent, faithful obedience is how the knowledge of the glory of God is going to fill the earth. I'm going to say that again. Consistent, faithful obedience is how the knowledge of the glory of God is going to fill the earth and cover it as the waters cover the sea. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, command your children and your households that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring the blessing he has promised to those faithful. This is how we change the world. This is how we build faithful families and so build his kingdom as he builds his church. And then Paul speaks to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We've already touched on much concerning fathers and their responsibility to train and instruct their children and their households. That means the whole family and everything associated and connected to it. 
A father is to do this from love. Fathers, loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength means loving your wives the way Jesus loves the church, and that means loving your children and teaching them obedience through word and through deed. Don't forget the deeds. Again, you can tell your children all the right things, but unless you're modeling it, they're going to learn from what is done, not what is said. You can tell them all the things that are most important, but what's going to Reveal to them that is most important is how you actually live your life and what you actually do and what you actually spend your time doing and your effort, what you put your effort toward. That is what children will learn to be the most important. So it's not just through our words, fathers. It's through our deeds. It's how we live our lives. In teaching children to obey, fathers are specifically commanded to not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We could rightly say that fathers are not to discourage their children, but encourage them. Fathers do this by patiently and consistently teaching their children the ways of the Lord in all things. Fathers, this doesn't mean that you give in to your children if they seem to be getting discouraged because you want them to do the right thing and they want to do the wrong thing. You, you pick your battles. But when your children have a will to do the wrong thing, that's not the time to retreat from that battle. You stand your ground. That's not discouraging them. That is teaching them and correcting them. And they may be angry about that. They may throw a fit about that. And they will do that because they know inherently how to manipulate parents. And parents, you've got to be smarter than your children. And a lot of parents don't seem to be. And you've got to... Hold your ground and teach your children the right things. Be faithful. Be consistent. Fathers, all things. Remember, children, obey your parents in all things. All things will include things like a child's obedience to his mother, the way he keeps his room or his possessions his manners, his work ethic. This is a problem a lot of people are having right now. I talk to, to business owners and I talk to people a lot. And they're all lamenting that they can't find people who know how to work. Well, you know why they don't know how to work? Because number one, one in four children growing up or growing up in fatherless homes, and maybe there wasn't a father to teach them how to work. And so teaching your children to obey involves all of these things, even a work ethic. How is, is a child going to learn a work ethic? They're going to learn it because they see you working the way you're supposed to be. So all things includes a lot of things. It includes kindness and consideration. It includes how a child interacts with others. We could go on, but you see that obedience encompasses the whole of life and everything in it, both big and small, especially the small things, for they are the most prevalent things of life. Fathers, teach your children to pay attention to the small things. I will freely confess to you all that I am still working on practicing all that I am preaching to you. This is not about being perfect, because there are no perfect people. There are no people who do not fail. We all fail. The reality is our failure in any area is not an excuse for continued disobedience. But our failure is an opportunity for renewed obedience. Don't look at your failure one way. Look at it the other way. Look at your failure as an opportunity for renewed obedience. Again, Paul echoes this in his letter to the Ephesians when he writes, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now I want to go back to our text, our text for this week and our text for last week where Paul is addressing the whole family. 
We find this in Colossians 3, 18 through 21. So I want to read, I want to read these four verses. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Paul is addressing the members of the family, husbands and wives, fathers, mothers, and children. And the family, as defined in Scripture, is the foundation of what we know as civilization. You do realize that, don't you? Without the families as instituted by God, the world as we have known it, with peace and prosperity and boundless opportunity, cannot be maintained. That cannot be maintained without the family as God instituted it. The family is that crucial. And that means fathers and mothers and children, you are that important. Something as simple as obedience makes all the difference. With no obedience, there is no family. There is only chaos. And now we don't have to stretch very far to, to, to wonder whether that's true. You just, just flip on the TV. And I promise you, every day, multiple times a day, there's a news headline. There's something happening that demonstrates this to be absolutely true. I wish that were not true, but it is. It seems as though the family is purposefully being destroyed. And that begs the question, why would anyone want to destroy the family? That's a good question. But it's a question that could sound unduly provocative. Because you might ask that question and someone might say, well, nobody wants to destroy families. But I think we all can now agree that there are forces at work right now to destroy the family. And they're not new. They're actually as old as humanity itself. But what we're dealing with in our culture today is not a new phenomenon. The people that are actively working to destroy the family are real, and they have been really working for much longer than we realize. Remember last week I held up the book Strange New World by Carl Truman and encouraged you all to read it? I want to still encourage you to read it. It's a very important book. It will help you understand what's happening in our culture. In Carl Truman's book, Strange New World, he reveals how thinkers and activists have been steadily working over the centuries, the last two in particular, to create a world free from the constraints of traditional moral values. This is especially true for historic biblical and Christian values. The one institution these thinkers and activists have concentrated most of their efforts on destroying is the family. It's not even the church. It's the family. Because they know if they can destroy the family, the church will not make it. Now, this is their arrogance, right? Because they're working to win, but we know they cannot win. Because Christ wins. God wins. That is true. But what happens during our time of visitation in this earth? That is a different question. What you do, how you obey, what you make a priority in your life is your choice. And your choices have consequences. And we are living those consequences right now in many, many ways. So the one institution they are actively seeking to destroy is the family. From Truman's book, here's a quote I want to read about the family from a man named Wilhelm, Wilhelm Reich. I, I had never heard of this guy before. Uh, a lot of the people in this book, some you've heard of, some you haven't heard of. 
But the people who are driving this ideology, they know them. They've studied them. They've embraced their ideas. And they've foisted them upon us. And it doesn't matter whether you know someone's name or not. The devil doesn't care what you know and who you know as long as he can make you feel secure in what you know while you are disobediently living out your life for his purpose and not God's. Reich was a Marxist and a German psychoanalyst in the 1930s and is very influential in shaping our current environment. Listen to what he says about the family. The interlacing of the socioeconomic structure with the sexual structure of society and the structural reproduction of society. So he's linking economics, sexuality, with the way our society is structured. He said those things take place in the first four or five years and in the authoritarian family. In other words, they know that in the first four or five years of a child's life, all of these things are, are ingrained in them. And parents today don't even realize that. You know, I, I've got parents I've seen who are waiting. My, their kid is 16 and making really poor choices, and then they're wondering how he got there. Well, when he was four or five, he was paying attention to what you were doing or not doing, what was important or what's not important, and that molded and shaped him throughout his life. This man understands this, and that's what he's saying. The first four or five years in the family, and then he says this, the church only continues this function later. It's, it's started in the family. The church just either supports it, enhances it, but the root of it is in the family. Thus, the authoritarian state, which he is against, uh, well, as it was in the 1930s, because it wasn't the authoritarian state he wanted. He wants to create his own authoritarian state. The authoritarian state gains an enormous interest in the authoritarian family. It becomes the factory in which the state's structure and ideology are molded. Now, he's not against structure and ideology. He's against a particular kind of structure and ideology. He's against the particular kind of structure and ideology that comes from a biblical worldview and the family as God instituted it. And so what they realize is we've got to change. We've got to break all this down so that children aren't growing up with this inherent ideology that believes in biblical morals. You do realize we are the frog in the kettle, and it is just about at a full boil. And we're wondering how we got there. This is how we got there. From the progressive worldview, sexual morality is designed to reinforce the structure and authority of the traditional family, sexual morality. The traditional family, in turn, raises children who are instinctively obedient to the authority. This is deemed bad in the mind of those trying to abolish any authority rooted in traditional moral values. According to the progressives, this anti-Christian worldview, and I quote, sexual codes must be shattered if human beings are to truly be free. No restraints. Be who you want, love who you want. Oh, you don't like being a boy? Just call yourself a girl. Your body parts don't matter, by the way. It's all up here. This is all designed to destroy the family. And they may have their own plans and purposes, but the insidious 
darkness behind all of this is the same insidious darkness that was in the garden tempting Eve to eat the fruit when God said, don't do it. And you might say, what does this have to do with children obeying their parents or fathers not provoking and discouraging your children? Well, it has everything to do with it. The godless, humanistic philosophy and worldview seeking to dominate the world is not new. It existed way back in the Garden of Eden and caused the fall of man. There is nothing new under the sun, Solomon writes, and that is especially true for sin. This progressive worldview being foisted upon us is sin, plain and simple. It is sin all dressed up to look right and pure and true and have our children's best interests at heart. And destroying the traditional family as God instituted is the best thing we can do because then people can be truly free. Do you see how deadly and how destructive this is? For those Christians who choose to live in denial, you can run, but you cannot hide. We'll just keep moving farther out away from everything. We'll keep, keep doing that you're not going to escape it. You won't. For those Christians who choose to live in denial, you can run, but you cannot hide. If the church continues to live in denial, if it continues to stay silent and unengaged in the battle, this will not only catch up to us, it will overtake us and the world we have known for all of our lives. That world will be no more. Now, I'm going to stop right there. It's pretty dire, pretty doom and gloom. But I want to remind you, the Bible is very clear, and it is very true. We win. I don't know about America in 2022. I don't know if she will win. I don't know if the world as we've known it, what my father fought for in the European theater in World War II, I don't know if that world that those men fought for back then in the 1940s. I don't know if the world they gave us, a world of prosperity and, and relative peace and freedom, I don't know if that world will remain, but we win. We may die seeing the world we know destroyed because the church is too afraid to speak up, to act up, and to engage. And I'm telling you right now, the church is the only solution to this problem because Jesus is the only answer. And we are his body, and God has specifically said it is his people called by his name, and that is the church today. Amen. So if you're putting your hope in politicians, in political parties, in anything other than Jesus and his church, you better stop, and you better engage as the church and start living as the church because your way of life is fast being destroyed. I mean, we don't want to think about that. We don't want to believe that could possibly be true. But I'm telling you, open your eyes and look around and see what's happening. Don't wait to join the battle. The battle is raging, and if people don't join it, it will be too late, at least for our generation. But we're not just living for our generation, are we? We're living for the generations to come after us, and that's why our faithful obedience is so important. I know all of this sounds extreme, but we are living in extreme times. And we no longer have the luxury of time to do nothing. If the church will humble herself and pray, if we will turn from our wicked ways and seek his face, God has promised that he will hear from heaven and he will heal our land. If you think about all the problems all at once, it is too overwhelming. If you think about a small thing you can do that is consistent with God's command to keep his way, that's doable. Obey, do that small thing, and then keep doing 
that small thing every day and then keep doing more small things every day. This is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He will lead you by his spirit. He will show you how to walk, how to talk, how to work and pray to see his kingdom come. In small ways every day, but not just in small ways, in great ways. Because this world, this earth will be filled one day with the knowledge of his glory. That day is coming. I want it sooner than later. But it will not get here any sooner than what we make possible by our faithful obedience in Christ. You are the church and you matter. What you do matters. What you do not do matters. Let's get ready to come to the Lord's table. This is a table of grace. This was a hard message today. It's a hard hard reality, though, that we're living in. And I I do you no service if I don't prepare you for the hard realities because they're going to hit you in the face as soon as you walk outside. Your obedience to the Word of God, I can't stress the importance of that. And we can, as Christ Fellowship Church, we can't change what other churches do, but we can be a church that purposes that we're not going to make excuses any longer. We're going to just purpose to walk in obedience the best we can. And when we fail, we're going to ask God for forgiveness, and we're going to get back up, and we're going to keep walking. As you trust in Christ, I welcome you to this table of grace, table of grace, because it is the grace of God that has made it possible for us to be here. We are not perfect, but we are forgiven in Christ. And we make that journey to this table to celebrate that reality, that we are forgiven, that we are his body. So Christian, welcome to the table and welcome to Jesus. The charge today is very simple. The small ways and the small things we do faithfully and consistently each day, the things we teach our children and others to do, make a far greater difference than we know. So God charges us to be faithful in the small things and his promises that he'll make us master over greater things. But that's not why we we should be faithful. We should be faithful because God is faithful. That is the character of our Father. That is the character of our Savior. Be faithful in the small things while you trust God for all the great and the big things. God is faithful, so let us be faithful And let us be faithful knowing that in spite of what we see all around us, we win. And we win because Jesus is Lord. Amen?